iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? Especially in Israel, a country that was just founded, you know, 70 some years ago. Growing up in a country that is a startup of its own, just got initiated, you do understand that what you see as reality is not necessarily what reality needs to be. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. How's everyone doing this week? I am tired. I feel like I'm burning the candle at both ends, but that's why God invented coffee. But anyway, this week, I want to take you to the future, the future after the smartphone, where we have invented the quote-unquote next platform. I'm talking, of course, about augmented reality or mixed reality or whatever you want to call it. Um, So just a bit of context. In a few days' time, um, this coming week, Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, is going to get on stage at their annual developers conference to unveil the company's new mixed reality goggles. The details are still under wraps, but the rumors are that they'll kind of look like ski goggles and be able to toggle between a fully immersive virtual reality experience and an augmented reality where digital information is kind of projected onto your field of view. And so this is a big deal. It's probably going to be, you know, I would guess a limited release and it's supposed to be very expensive. Um, but Apple's been working on this in secret for years, and it'll be the first new product that Apple, the biggest tech company in the world, has released in almost a decade. The last one, the Apple Watch, was way back in 2014. So there's much excitement about all of that and what that means, this idea of kind of moving beyond the smartphone, beyond the screen. So in the midst of all of that, I have done one better for you all, my dear listeners. On the program today is Tamir Berliner and Tomer Khan. They're the co-founders of Sightful, an Israeli startup that has invented the world's first augmented reality laptops. What does that mean? So their invention called the Space Top looks like a normal 13-inch laptop, but when you open the top, instead of a screen folding up, there is instead just a pair of glasses that are wired to the keyboard. You put them on, and in front of you appears the equivalent of like a 100-inch television screen. So you have a whole bunch of windows you can open at once. It's very high fidelity, so you can write emails, watch videos, etc. Um, and Tamir and Tomer reckon that this is the beginning of the end of the laptop as we know it so really or really screens as we know them and they have some street cred here because before this they were both at magic leap for years and if you don't know magic leap it was this super hyped startup they raised more than two and a half billion dollars two and a half billion to bring to market a first generation kind of augmented reality kind of set of goggles it did not go well 
their CEO stepped down, was forced to step down a few years ago. Magic Leap has kind of limped on, but it just did not set the world alight. Um, let's say it was this, one of these classic burns super brightly and then kind of go out with a whimper. But the Sightful guys, having been inside that machine, are trying again and in a different way, targeting the laptop and reckoning that this time they've got it right. And, uh, and I can say I actually tried it. I tried the space top. I put on the glasses a couple weeks ago and it's very impressive. It does feel like something you can wear for hours. The glasses are really light, pretty comfortable. And importantly, it's, it's very intuitive. So you just put them on and then you can just, you know, use your mouse, your trackpad, just like you would any other laptop, except there is no screen. It's just in this, in your field of view projected in front of you. And of course you can still see your surroundings. So you don't have to learn anything new to use it um, just to start using it. It's pretty cool. Anyhow, I don't know if this is going to be the thing that replaces the laptop, but I did catch up with the guys this week, just a few days after they officially launched version one of their product to talk about just this moment in technology history, the end of screens, why they're trying to do this, why they think now is the time and why this, you know, this next tech platform may finally, maybe, perhaps be coming very very soon. So that is what you're going to hear right now. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So I will now hand you over to my conversation with Tamir Berliner and Tomer Khan of Sightful. Enjoy. Perhaps I could start with just the fact that I've actually tried this thing, which was cool. Yeah. So for people who haven't, which is pretty much everybody at this moment, at this point, you put on these glasses and then you have this whole big giant screen that is superimposed on your surroundings really high fidelity that you can use it to write emails watch videos whatever it may be and you guys are calling this the world's first augmented reality laptop is that correct that's uh the best way that we found that people really relate to what it is that they need yeah. in addition to what it is that they're getting Right. So it's kind of this, this amazing uh, point in the world of Venn diagrams between laptops and augmented reality. So it's kind of a very, very cool sweet spot. And you can really think of it as a 100-inch laptop that fits in your backpack. Right. To be clear, the, the, the laptop, if you just look at it quickly, it looks like any other laptop. It's a typical 13-inch laptop like the one I'm using my my MacBook right now. But instead of... A screen folding up when you open it, you open the top and there's this pair of glasses wired to the keyboard and you put those on and that's that's your, your screen, so to speak. So the question I have is why are you doing this? <laughs> so I, I can take you like 15 and 20 years into the past, but at the bottom, like if you look at really every technology that is out there, technology is... Is, is destined to disappear, right? And that when I say disappear, I don't mean not, not be present in our lives. I mean, we should get the value. We should get what it is that we want without having to pay the price of time and space for technology. I think about, you know, we used to have stables. A lot of time to handle horses, took a lot of time, a lot of space for, for the horses to be at, replaced by cars, yeah, so you no, no longer had to scoop manure out and you can get point A to point B quicker. Yes, but cars wasn't, it wasn't a very clear change to people. 
it took hmm. time for people to understand, oh, this technology actually replaces a technology that is very time-consuming and very space-consuming. Let's talk about digital cameras and, and you know, the film and saving like space of all those pictures. Technology evolution has always been about saving time and space. And we think that personal computing is something that, I don't know, hasn't changed in the past uh, in the last 30 years, let's say laptops specifically, 25 years. But it's not because they don't need to change. It's, look at your workstation. You can see what it is that people want, right? When you go to, to your desk at work, you have multiple screens. Some people have three, some people have up to eight. Um, and at the end of the day, the value that we want is actually applications. Those are the tools that we need, right? Those are the tools we want to take with us. So a 100-inch laptop or just imagine a laptop that has no screen, it rather allows every application to run and be in its optimal form just makes so much sense once you realize technology can actually do that now. So I want to go ask for a prediction and then I want to go backward to what you guys were doing before this. So let's say five years from now, I have a MacBook Air. You know, they last a long time. Um, but let's say five years from now, my MacBook is like crapped out. I'm like, oh man, I got to get a new laptop. Do you think it's realistic? I will get my next laptop will be one that doesn't have a screen, and then I'll it'll just come with these some kind of glasses or what you know whatever form factor it ends up being. But like you put it on your face, and all of a sudden you have your whole this gigantic workspace station just in your field of view, and that becomes the new. That is the way people will be doing things. So my short answer is yes. My longer answer is I don't think um, that in five years you would actually wear the glasses in order to use your laptop. You will already start wearing them regardless of the laptop. The laptop will just become an app on your glasses. Oh, I see. So you, you think basically the glasses... Glasses is the next thing, is the, is the successor of the smartphone, the laptop, the kind of the next interface. I think spatial computing and, uh, and the realization that there's a new technology aspect to reality, which is the ability of technology to really be present with us and around us. I think that is the number one differentiator. Yes, it requires glasses. Uh, do I think the glasses are the main parameter? I think it's a key parameter, definitely. But I think that in five years, we're already going to start seeing the real next step of the technology evolution, which is what people refer to as spatial computing. Uh, but uh, others call it mixed reality. Others call it AR, VR. I personally just call it reality. We, we're going to just have you know, physical objects and digital objects living side by side. And that's going to be our reality. Right. Can we go backward now? Before this, you were at Magic Leap, right? Yeah. So it was funny. The first story, so I moved back here from the UK. I was living in the UK for a long time, and I moved back here at Christmas 2016. And literally the week, the like the day after I landed, my editor in London said, oh, we want to feature on this company called Magic Leap because they just raised a bunch of money or something and or like a crazy valuation. And it was this thing that was going to be the next thing. 
and Magic Leap, for those people who don't remember, were like goggles. And I can't remember if it was mixed reality or augmented reality, but there was there was like so much hype and heat and light around this company and so much money went into it. And then it all went, as the Brits say, it went pear-shaped. And it kind of, they got rid of the CEO and the goggles were way delayed. And then when they got there, people were like, some of this is cool, some of it works, some of it doesn't basically... Seven years later, you know, I think Magic Leap still exists, but it's not it's not the thing, certainly. It's not what what it was hyped up to be. So what was your involvement in that and what did you see in that whole arc that you have extracted those kind of lessons to when you're starting to kind of this this time around? I do want to take even a one step even further before we touch Magic Leap. So if you look at what I've been up to in the past 15 years, my, my true goal in life is to make technology disappear. Honestly, like if you look at, I, I co-founded PrimeSense in 2005, where we built a technology that if, if people on, on, on the podcast have uh, heard about it, most likely it's, it's through the Microsoft Xbox Kinect. Right? It was really a first step of allowing machines or computers to, to really start evolving into understanding their surrounding, understanding mm-hmm. that the world is 3D and not just you know, zeros and ones. And with that, we, we really uh, revolutionized some of the way people saw game consoles. For people who don't know, what was PrimeSense? Like, what did you build there? So PrimeSense was the technology that Microsoft used for the Microsoft Xbox Kinect. That was a sensor sold for the Xbox audience, hit 30 million units, and really allowed people to play games in an unmediated way. Highly immersive from very young people to very old people. Suddenly, playing games didn't require this barrier of a controller. You were the controller. And I think technology-wise, we were always thinking of it as how do we make technology you know, disappear, not be in your way, but rather enable you to do more things with your time and with your space. We ended up selling the company to Apple and, well, I, I can talk about you know, Face ID, but I think I don't need to, everyone knows. So you also worked on the technology that became Face ID or kind of drove Face ID? Yeah, Apple actually bought PrimeSense. Right. So that is how it evolved into it. And with Magic Leap, when I joined Magic Leap, Magic Leap is an amazing company. Magic Leap really was extremely early into something that is going to be our everyday lives. I think Roni started the company in 2011. or So it started very, very early on with a grand vision, amazing, huge vision. When you look at technology, building technology, it's a very heavy lifting effort to do the first ones. The first computers were highly, highly, highly expensive. Does the company that built the first computers is now a part of our everyday lives? That's an answer I, I honestly, I don't even know. But you can say that to almost every company that was the first. And magically had to build the workforce for what it did while building the product, while creating the technology. It's a huge and unparalleled effort to anything that has ever happened in the world. Personally, I have a huge admiration, not only to Roni, but all of the Magic Leap team. They've done yeah. 
splendidly. Um, on my side, it was really a very clear ask for money when, when I got hired. It, it told me, you know, we need to bring this to market. We do have some parts that are more ready than others. Please tell me what you can do because we have the funds to do it, but we need to build the team and we need to build the technology. And building the teams, building technology is something I, I know how to do. So the guy sitting next to me, Thomas, was one of my first hires into Magic Leap and uh, really a bunch of extremely talented people from Israel joined because they saw what this technology can end up doing. But building the technology is never enough. You need to also understand what exactly these users need. You need to iterate over it. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Uh, and I think magically one was kind of a sprint in a very long marathon. And I do hope magically will bring its amazing technology to the market in either product or someone else's product, but really bring that capability because it is something that the world will need. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync... Things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And so what lessons did you learn there? Because now you, you left Magic Leap and you started Sightful. Surely you, I mean, from being inside that kind of roller coaster ride, I'm sure there's some of the things you're like, oh, okay, we'll definitely take this, but we'll leave that, etc. Yeah, so I think um, a lot of focus and small steps around uh, user testing, actively creating the engagement with the users from early stages and iterating and hearing the voices of the user of what works, what doesn't work, and pivot and navigate the product definition with the relevant audience as part of the process. That's, I think, a major thing that we amplified. It was present in Magically, but I think we, are, we took it one step further in terms of creating the clear product market fit. What is it exactly? What is, isn't it? Which is also important. Mm. Uh, so that focus and that narrowing down of the first steps of what needs and audiences does it uh, serve and what uh, which audiences it doesn't serve and they'll need to be patient until 
additional features, additional capabilities of a product evolve over its roadmap, but let's not start with too broad. So I think that's an area that we uh, uh, learned and it, it's also challenging because then you need to make more braver, I think, product decisions in terms of disappointing some of the audiences that are exciting yeah. and, and want this, but it's not yet ready for them because it doesn't resonate exactly on what they need now. So that's one of the, I would say, key lessons learned, doubling down on focus and product market fit from early days. And when did you guys start Sightful? We started it in the summer of 2020. It's two years and 10 months into the roller coaster journey. <laughs> and how much money have you guys, have you guys raised? So we've raised to date $61 million in a seed round, followed by an A round. Was that hard? Because, I mean, as we've been discussing in many different forms, building actual stuff is really hard. Yeah. And, you know, Silicon Valley is famously kind of averse to actually throwing money into hardware because it's just, you know, most of the time it just... It ends up being way more difficult, way more expensive than people expect. First, it's worthwhile emphasizing that we're a product company. We have a large palette of, of uh, talent in our team. If you look, a lot of the vast majority is software engineers and that we're building the experience. We do happen to build hardware. We do that, as mentioned earlier, uh, with great partners. So we were super lean on our resources that are uh, hardware professionals. It's also important to, to say that we were like happy and, and looking into working with everyone on building hardware. We're looking to work with the ecosystem of whether those are glasses makers, chipset makers, laptop manufacturers, OEMs, brands, that want to join the journey with us and build the space top experience. So it's definitely hard. And as, as Tamir said, we built a great team around us. Uh, myself also, I have experience of shipping tens of millions of systems for products like the Microsoft Surface, uh, Touch and Pen, working with folks like Dell and HP and Sony and Fujitsu that have a lot of strict uh, quality standards. And we also brought in a few of our leaders that have that experience. And yeah, we, we slept a little bit less in the last uh, three years. I bet. <laughs> and how do, how do you guys know each other? So we actually met for the first time in Magically when I hired Tomer into Magically. But we, I think, heard about each other even before. I think at Prime Sense, we tried to hire Tomer and he was focused on, on doing other things. So when I had the opportunity to you know, bring him into Magic Leap, it was a no-brainer. No Silicon Valley is kind of like a village. Everybody kind of knows each other. Is it similar in, in, in the Israel tech world? Like a lot of people know each other. It's a kind of a small, small world. I think the answer is definitely yes. I think it's even a bit smaller. So it's hard not to know some people, but it's always surprising. Like everywhere you go, every time you talk to someone, it's surprising to see how much is being done by, by how many people on how many different domains. And in that nature, I think it is very similar to what's happening here in the Valley. 
And so you guys are you guys are based uh, where is it? Are you in Tel Aviv? Yes, we're based in Tel Aviv, and we also have a global footprint of a team in the U.S., in the West Coast, in the East Coast, uh, as well as some representatives in Asia Pacific. Did you ever think about coming out west, or is there is there an advantage that you like a competitive advantage to building this company in Tel Aviv as opposed to whatever Silicon Valley, where you know there's lots of lots of hardware experts and domain expertise? You know, I think there are many places where anything can start, right? So I think the Silicon Valley has been blessed with having a lot of companies start here. Overall, Israel also has been very much blessed with companies starting in Israel. It does require specialized people in so many different layers uh, of hardware, of software, of usability, even just doing proper usability studies, knowing how to, to accomplish those in a way that truly is informative to the company. All of these are, are things you can now find, I, I believe, in different ecosystems in the world. And the value you get is the different cultural value, I think, of the different regions. So I think it's a long answer to a, to a short question, but I think to your question is... Yes, there are merits to doing this in Tel Aviv, but also I think it could have started in many other places in the world. Right, right. And just in terms of going back to the technology for a second, why is this possible now? And would it have been possible before? Like, I don't know, even two years ago or five years ago or, or whenever. Have there been one or two or three unlocks that have made possible this idea that you could just like throw on a pair of glasses and have your whole, like a whole kind of universe in front of you? So I would start with there have been several unlocks. No, it's not just one. It's a very unique point in time that we are at. Key notable ones are the glasses. Having the fidelity of text legibility to the point where it's really something that can replace a, a physical screen is something we've never seen up until that point. In addition, having compute capabilities that not only let you run the applications and the 3D world that we are rendering in real time, but also doing, at the same time, the perception capabilities that are required in order for the space top to really understand the environment so that the pixel, pixels are interlaced into your reality. That's something we haven't seen be anything close to something that was consumer product level up until now. Add to that the fact that you need not just a, a, a cool display, but you need an overall product design that is holistic, very easy for people to understand and use. We can run in, in real time with a complex operating system. Really, I don't think, if you look at 10 years back, I think it's it was impossible to even imagine that this is doable. If you look at 10 years from now, I think it's going to be trivial that this is the way to go. I imagine that the the fact that uh, if you believe the press, uh, including the Sunday Times, that um, that Apple on Monday or Tuesday is going to release its own glasses. Do you think that's a kind of a wind at your back, so to speak, in that like all, you know, the biggest tech company in the world is saying, yeah, this there's some there's a there there. So I, I, I would point to almost everyone who manufactured glasses, Meta, 
Magic Fit as well, uh, HoloLens, you can always see videos of people showing the use case of, oh, wow, I can now walk from everywhere. Yeah. I don't think it's the use case. And, and then to the question is, you know, will Apple have something of that sort? Maybe as well. Uh, we see everything as a, as a backwind. We think this is the beginning of a new domain, of a new era. Uh, there's enough room for everyone. The question is, are there enough people who would actually take an active role in building this? It's a huge effort. And we need more players to be building it. We need more companies to step into the domain. Because the more you have companies operate, the more there's a chance we will optimize to the right points. And we talked about this a little bit when we met uh, the other week, but um, how do you get past the glass hole problem? <laughs> the Google Glass thing, you know, where the, I can't even, it's been what, 15 years since they came out with Google Glass and everybody's like, this is horrendous. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a terrible idea. You're going to use this to surveil, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, you look like an, to be, well, you look like an asshole. Um, how did you kind of think about that as you're developing this? Sure. So I think the most immediate understanding is that when people see you with a space top, they just get it. They get that this is a AR laptop. We're hearing people approaching us in coffee shops on planes saying, is that a huge infinite screen laptop? Just by looking at you with the glasses on. Just by looking at us from the side, just naturally without any prior knowledge of what it is, it's pretty fresh, it's out in the wild. And once people understand what you're doing with it and what is the value for you, they understand that there is value created and it's not a pair of glasses that is filming for the purpose of like capturing video or doing some just random or fun stuff. It has a purpose and people appreciate that. And they start asking themselves, do I want one as well? So that's the kind of a social barrier. And, and when you look at like the, the uh, fact that, like Tabir said, the technology transitions, they're always uh, a tough point where it, the value needs to be greater than the cost uh, to the user. Cost can be also a social cost, et cetera. Yeah. At some point, we started talking to ourselves in, in the street and people were looking at us and saying, what are you? Are you like mad? We were just with the wireless. Uh, Bluetooth, yeah. These are the transition points that happen. And with Space Talk, once people understand, they, they understand there's, there's this transition and the cost. And it's, they're, uh, they're really cool with that because they know that it will be more and more open and eventually it will happen it will transition to be like a nice pair of lightweight transparent glasses that all of us will be wearing so that's that's how it's accepted what is your guys's background like do you come from entrepreneurial families like or did you grow up kind of tinkering and you know launching businesses and all that kind of stuff because what you're trying to do and have tried to do over, it sounds like both of your careers is really hard stuff. And now you're, you know, launching this company that is very difficult. Just wondering kind of where that itch comes from. I don't come from a big entrepreneurial background, especially in Israel, a country that was just founded, you know, 70 some years ago. 
backgrounds, uh, history backgrounds are, are even harder. Being in Israel, growing up in a country that is a startup of its own, just got initiated, you do understand that what you see as reality is not necessarily what reality needs to be. Mm. And I do think we also are living in an, an extremely unique point in time where we see the changes, the multiple changes during our lifetime. Just think about the, the VHS tape, right, in the 1980s and even beginning of 90s, right? That was the technology. If you wanted to watch a video, you had to go to a blockbuster <laughs> to get that video from, from there in order to watch it. Today, you just type, type the name of what you want to see and you see it. So it's, it's ridiculous changes that we've seen in our lifetimes that I think make everything be plausible. It's just mm. a matter of, is it ready now or is it going to be ready? Can you connect the dots or, or can't you? And that's at least for me, including, of course, the huge pain point of, I really can't work on a 13-inch screen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and for me, it's a little bit different angle. Like one side of the family was doctors, the other one was lawyers. And suddenly my elder sisters went into tech and like geeks. And that's where the inspiration, and we started a third branch, which is like uh, the high-tech geek uh, um, branch. And also I think like uh, resilience and learning, like military training and stuff like that, doing some tough stuff teaches you that the journey is very rewarding, but sometimes it's bumpy and you need to be, you need that endurance for a long marathon as, as Tamir mentioned earlier. So I think those are kind of the ingredients or spices that kind of shape me into this journey. When we met Tamir, you, you, I think it was the day you were launching the kind of the early access. I think you were making a thousand of these have, how is that going what ha- and what kind of what happens next? We had a, a launch that I, I can't even say we had. It's, uh, it's got a life of its own right now. We see more and more countries, you know, covering this. So it's actually highly surprising. We're a bit overwhelmed. We still are seeking the right people that will get the, the first thousand space stops. So while we do have demand through the roof, our purpose is to have the best fit. We want people who really need this mm. to have products so that we know it's people who are going to actually use it over time, give us feedback, helping us shape right. how we're going to meet this technology in five years. Got you. And are you looking at like Instagram influencers who have like a million followers and can like make videos about it? Or, or is that part of it? Or We do very little on really actively uh, doing anything on the influencer side. We are working very hard to be responsive and give people you know, answers if people ask us questions, but we don't see ourselves you know, trying to do a marketing push on, on Instagram and so forth. And we don't, we're not looking into how much followers someone has. We are looking into, are you someone that we believe is actually going to be using our product on, on an everyday basis. Awesome. 
I appreciate you taking the time, especially um, I think you're at a conference right now talking about your invention with uh, lots of folks. So I'll let you get back to that. But I really appreciate you taking the time. And um, yeah, good luck. Thank you so much. And I think, you know, AWE here has been a, an amazing conference. And actually, all of the first keynotes had uh, Space Top featured at some point. Yeah. Oh, it's really? Qualcomm, Qualcomm uh, Hugo, who you know, was talking about the future of AR and their efforts, really showcased Space Top, was even applauded when he pulled the Space Top slide. She, uh, who is the CEO of Xreal, the company that is building the glasses we use, also featured us. I, I joined this keynote to say hi as well. And uh, really highly warm response from everyone we meet. And highly seems to be enthusiastic people here in the uh, augmented world echo. Now comes the hard part. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Tamir and Tomer for taking the time to explain that all. Also for letting me try out their cool new gadget a couple weeks ago. Um, I want to thank you all for listening, for the ratings, for the reviews, for telling your friends, for telling your neighbors about this wonderful podcast. And that is it for me this week. I actually wrote about Apple's upcoming event last week. So if you didn't see that, you can still catch up on that at thetimes.co.uk. You can also email me at danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. That is it for me this week. I will be back next week with a brand new edition, another episode of Danny in the Valley. Until then, keep well, and we'll talk to you very soon. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.